Uh, it's good to see everybody. I hope everybody had a chance to uh, read the rest of Hebrews this week. Um, as I had on the uh, screen uh, before um, services this morning, next week, uh, or I guess our reading for this week, uh, is the book of James. That's uh, the next book in line. Um, and James is um, five chapters exactly. So it's, uh, it's a good read. Um, it's a simple read. And uh, there's a lot of good stuff in James. Um, so I hope you can read through that ahead of our uh, time together next week. Um, this morning, as Adam read, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 3. And it's fitting that uh, the guy who teaches people to run gooder uh, was the one who, te- who uh, read the part about um, running a race uh, with endurance. Um, and I said gooder because someone said that I have bad grammar. Uh, this morning, so, um, hey kid. Speaking of kids, uh, the kids have sermon notes that they're filling out now, and, and they're keeping track of how many times I say certain words, so, God, Jesus, holy, obey, <laughs> fill in the bubbles, um, Holy Spirit, um, no, it is good to see everybody this morning, um, uh, it is, Getting to the time of year that I love um, in terms of um, not just the weather, because this kind of temperature is awesome. Um, I get to wear a sweater instead of a coat, uh, which is great, Uh, but the trees are changing. Sarah and I were mentioning the other day that we have tree envy of our neighbors across the street because they have a beautiful red oak out front. And this time of year, it's just this like bright red, beautiful colors. Um, But it's a reminder of the beauty that God has created in this world. Of course, his creation is beautiful all year round, um, but this is the time of year where it's transitioning into looking like death, Um, because that's winter time, right? Everything's bare and empty, and it's like, oh, it's so sad, Um, but it's just still, there's still life clinging, um, and it's just a beautiful time, but also it's November. It's my birthday month, Uh, uh, but also it's a time of Thanksgiving, right? We always talk about... um, uh, November, of course, Thanksgiving towards the end of the month. And a lot of people, and I mentioned this in our bulletin note this morning, a lot of people spend, take this time uh, on Facebook to mention something they're thankful for each and every day. Um, so it's always good to, to kind of see those things. But also as Christians, I think we need to be reminded that we should be thankful every day of the many blessings that we've been given, not just in November, not just on Thanksgiving while we're fighting with our relatives around the table about uh, who, who is, uh, you know, whose political views are what but rather thankful for the many blessings that we have. And one of those blessings that we have is that hope of eternal life. And that hope of eternal life is really the finish line of this race that the Hebrew writer calls a race of faith. Um, Throughout the book of Hebrews, there is this emphasis on being steadfast in our faith and enduring for the faith. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, we touched on this last week a little bit. Uh, The Hebrew writer gives a warning against developing unbelief, right? That's a dire warning that's given. You need to avoid it. Um, In chapter 6, in chapter 10, there is an emphasis on the need for a faith that endures, right? Now, this morning, we're looking at chapter 12, which again calls for that type of endurance. In In chapter 11... The one right before this in our bulletin note uh, touches on chapter 11 a little bit. Um, We're reminded of many people throughout the history uh, of the Bible and in the history especially of 
the Hebrews, of the Jews, of people who um, had this kind of enduring faith. Um, and now this emphasis continues. And the emphasis from those who had an exemplary life of faith, who ran the race faithfully, it is now transitions into our own life of faith. And it's described as a race. In a race in which we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I've never run a race uh, that had a crowd. All right? I've run a race, I've, I've run a 5K, well, I walked a 5K. I ran a couple times, but it was a 5K, but there wasn't really a crowd. Uh, and I was the last to finish. It was a couple years ago. Um, I actually let Sarah cross before me so she didn't have to be last. And the last shall be first. I wish they had pie for that that trophy, but they didn't. Anyways, I've never run a race in which there is a great crowd, right? But we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And this cloud of witnesses refers back to chapter 11. It refers back to those men of faith that are are mentioned. And in the bulletin, uh, it's referred to as the Hall of Faith, right? Instead of Hall of Fame, the Hall of Faith. Because there are many there, people like Abraham and Moses Men who had great faith. Um, and, and really, chapter 11, is, a lot of it is about um, a better promise. right? It's a, it's a better promise because Abraham and Moses, they had that great faith. and they, they had that faith for the promise. And what was that promise? It was the promised land. But those men who had great faith, even though they endured to the end of their life, they never got to see that promise in the flesh. So in what way are they witnesses for us? In what way are Abraham and Moses witnesses? Now the word here refers to those who bear witness. They bear witness by their lives. They have borne witness to the value of faith, which is the basis of Hebrews 11. The value of that faith. And by their lives, they encourage us in running the race of faith. Because though they faced many trials, many temptations, they still persevered to the end. And they had their faults. They weren't perfect men. Moses talked to a rock instead of hitting it. Or no, he hit the rock instead of talking to it. And that's what caused him not to get into the promised land. He had his faults. But he still remained faithful. So as we try to follow in the footsteps of others who have successfully run this race of faith... There are three things that are necessary that I think the Hebrew writer presents in this lesson that we should take heed of. The first one is we need to lay some things aside. Now, the comparison to running here is pretty obvious. Um, Again, I am not one who runs or runs competitively, but I get the basics of it. I watch TV. I can Google it, right? The runner who seeks to win a race, they do a lot of things. Of course, training is an important side of it. But when the race is actually being won, they try to cut as much weight as possible without hurting performance. And I'm not just talking about physical weight, though that's a good thing. But I'm talking about the weight that they're wearing. They wear light clothing in order not to drag them down. It allows for free movement while helping to keep them either cool or warm, depending on the conditions, whenever you're running. Some people like running in zero-degree temperatures. 
Dave. Other people don't. Me. Some people like running in warm temperatures. Dave and Kip. Some people don't. Me. But the whole purpose of running the race is in, in, in cutting that weight off is for speed. To increase the speed without taking away from energy. Because the more weight you carry when you run, the more energy you spend. And something that Adam teaches, because he's told me this, not because he's taught me, is the way you run and the way you pump your arms helps cut down on drag. Am I right? Ha, yes. I listened. Um, this kind of reminds me of a big controversy that happened in the Olympics not too long ago. Perhaps you remember this. Back in the Beijing Olympics, the swimmers wore special suits. These were full-body suits, and you don't see these anymore because they're banned now. But these suits were made of a material that was like a very thin foam, and it actually gave them more buoyancy in the water, and it cut down on drag. The, the material that they wore was actually hydrophobic, which means it, it was repelled water. So they basically were, were going through the water with this bubble around them, and their speeds were crazy. Um, and so they banned them because it was an unfair advantage, especially for those who probably couldn't use them. But ultimately, it took away from the race. It took away from the physical side of it. But when I think about those suits, right, that's, that helped them have more endurance. They didn't have to work as hard in the water to swim faster because the suits aided them in doing that. Now, our comparison, of course, here is to running, but it obviously can be seen there in swimming. Um, swimmers try to cut down on drag as much as possible, right? They, they either wear swim caps or they shave their head bald. They shave their arms and their legs. They, they, they cut down on as much drag as possible. Those are things that they lay aside, right? And we have to lay aside things as well, right? It says we need to lay aside every weight in verse 2, or verse 1 rather. We need to lay aside every weight. There are things that slow down our spiritual progress. There are things that cause us to drag, if you will. Some things that Jesus outlines in Luke chapter 21, verses 34 through 36. He says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Watch yourselves, he says, lest you are weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. There are cares of this life that can drag us down spiritually. <clears throat> Paul, Peter, and James, they speak about this stuff at length in almost every single one of their letters. Things like anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, drunkenness, sexual immorality, the list goes on and on and on. These are things that can be, uh, that can slow down our spiritual process. And those are the things that make running the race of faith difficult, if not impossible, right? The other thing that he lists that we need to lay aside is the sin which clings so closely. Any and all sins should be laid aside. That's the point of repentance. That's the point of seeking forgiveness. And when we seek forgiveness, we should do so after we repent. 
after we turn away from our sin, we seek forgiveness. Now from the context within Hebrews, I understand that the sin that's being talked about here is the sin of unbelief. Right? Because that's been kind of the thread that's been woven throughout the book of Hebrews, is to avoid this sin of unbelief. Now, this letter was written to encourage faithfulness in Christ and His covenant, the better covenant, the better promises. And of course, as I mentioned at the start of this lesson, we've seen this before in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12-13. through 13. Now Hebrews chapter 10, also a part of our reading this week, uh, also indicates that when, no longer, when one no longer believes then the race has been lost. right? The race is pretty much over at that point. You can't run a race for faith if you don't have the faith. Makes kind of complete sense there, right? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of just two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Verse 32, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. There's that word again. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That's Habakkuk, by the way. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You see that endurance and keeping the faith is what leads you to the finish line. With a full assurance of faith, and with every hindrance that, is la- that we need to lay aside, we can run the race of faith as God intended. But as we comprehend the true nature of the course that's been set before us, we can appreciate the need for the element of endurance. Because we need it. Right? The race of faith, is a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It does not require one quick burst of energy in which the race is soon over. Instead, it requires a sustained effort over a long period of time. And again, I've never run a marathon, but I understand the concepts of it. You don't want to run as fast as possible, because then you run out of energy and you can't finish the race. You pace yourself. That's endurance. To be able to, long, or to run long 
stretches at a time. And, and in training for marathons, you start small. You start with a few miles, and then you work up to it, right? Even training for just a simple 5K, there's a, there's a nifty little mobile app that will help you. It's called Couch to 5K. <laughs> Sounds perfect for me. I've done it before, and I tell you what, it actually worked. I stopped, but it worked, right? You start off, you walk a little bit, and then you jog for a little bit, and then you walk for a little bit, and then you jog for a little bit, and you slowly work up to running a mile, and then a mile and a half, and then two miles, etc. And so you work your, your, work your way up um, to the metric system of 5K. They don't go through the math part of it, which is good. But endurance is a necessary quality in terms of running a marathon, as well as the race of faith. Now, Jesus taught this often. Uh, he always taught his disciples about the need for endurance. And, and consider the connection that exists between the word endurance and patience and long-suffering. Because to me, when I think about running a marathon, that sounds like long and suffering. It's long-suffering, and you need to have endurance in order to succeed. Now, specifically in Matthew chapter 10, um, verses, uh, tw verse 22, um, and in Matthew 24, verse 13, he says the same exact phrase in both of those. Um, he says that one, the one that endures to the end will be saved. It's important enough that he repeats it. So, again, with Jesus' words, endurance to the end, will be saved. Right? Faith is not something that you have at the point of baptism, and then you lose it. And then you get salvation. It's an enduring faith. You have to continue in that faith until the end. The writer of Hebrews also stresses this quality throughout the book. And hopefully you remember some of those. Uh, in chapter 6, verses 11 through 15, he appeals to Abraham's example. Right? He says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained that promise. In chapter 10, verses 36 through 39, which we read just moments ago, in which he quotes Habakkuk, he again encourages endurance. Now, how do we develop this endurance? Well, in Timothy... Paul encourages the young preacher that, you know, physical training is a good thing. Agree to disagree. No, I'm just kidding. Physical training is a good thing, but spiritual training is of much greater value. And how does one spiritually train? How can one develop endurance? When you develop endurance for a run, you go out and you run. You can't just show up to the Flying Pig Marathon and expect to finish the Flying Pig Marathon. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul writes, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Spiritual training, spiritual endurance comes from the Word. 
It comes from studying the Scriptures and finding the help and the hope that we need in the Scripture. Scripture tells us of the faithfulness of God. It tells us of a God who fulfills His promises. And we also read, of course, of the ultimate end of those who endure in faithfulness. Faithfulness, by the way, is our topic for tonight. In our series, as we continue through the fruits of the Spirit, we'll be looking at faithfulness. Obviously, faithfulness, as we've just spoken about, is something that we must have and endure in until the end. Because not only do we read of the ultimate end of those who endure in faithfulness, we also read of those who don't and the end that is expected of them for them as well. Now, Paul wrote that eternal life would be given to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality in Romans chapter 2, verse 7. So endurance is required to successfully run this race of faith But equally important is where we have our mind focused as we run the race. We need to focus on Jesus. In the few races that I have run, I always look to the finish line because I know that's where I can sit down. (laughs) Just being honest. That's the end. I can stop running when I reach that finish line. In the 5K that Sarah and I did run, it was a 5K to help benefit the church camp that we were going to. And by the time that Sarah and I had finished, the people who finished the race first ran it again and lapped us. They didn't stop at the finish line. They kept going because, well, they were marathon runners and show-offs. But when we think about the finish line, Right, That's the hope. That's the hope that we can look towards. But the Hebrew writer tells us where to look to Jesus. We look to our pacemaker. In marathons, there's typically people who set the pace. Or in those long races in the Olympics where nobody watches, right? Uh, The the really long, like 1,600, 2,400, I don't even know how many meters they run. But there will be one person at the front, and then they'll kind of rotate. And it's almost like it's a set pattern. I don't think it is. I just think somebody takes over. But they all run behind them, and they try to, again, cut down on drag. But that person is leading the pack. And if you don't focus on that person, you could come out of step, you could crash into somebody, and then you lose. right? Um, but in terms of looking to Jesus, right, the Hebrew writer says that our focus needs to be on Him as we run the race. Now, we might glance at others. Right? Consider Hebrews 11 that we just talked about, those, those hall of faithers, those who have run the race before us. We may glance to them and look to them for an example of perhaps how they ran the race or how they handled certain situations, but we are to gaze upon our Savior. He needs to always be in that focus. We have peripheral vision in which we can see other people. I can look straight down the aisle here but I can see everybody in my peripheral vision. We need to keep Jesus as our focus. Now, I don't know about you or or if you've ever heard this illustration before, but this illustration is called the formula for spiritual success. And I think it's something that we should consider. It says, if you want to be distressed, look within. If you want to be defeated, look back. If you want to be distracted, look back. Look around. If you want to be dismayed, look ahead. 
But if you want to be delivered, look up. I really like that. I think it's a good illustration and it's a good reminder of where our focus needs to be. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Colossians chapter uh, 3 verses 1 through 2. We need to focus on Jesus. We need to look at Jesus because He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's run this race. And He did so perfectly. He didn't miss a beat. He didn't miss a step. He did so without sin. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. He has blazed the trail for us. He set the path. Because he has already run the race. And as a forerunner, he has entered the heavenly sanctuary. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 through 20 says. And he has opened a new and living way for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20. And he now helps us to finish it ourselves. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is our helper. He succeeded in running the race by looking at the joy that was set before him. And the joy that, was, that inspired him was likely that privilege of being seated at the right hand of God. And pleasing his father. And doing what he had commanded him. And with the anticipation of such joy, Jesus endured the cross. The physical pain. And he endured the the rejection Hebrews uh, chapter 12 says he despised the shame the emotional and spiritual agony that came from being despised and rejected and we've been talking about that a little bit in our Wednesday night class so just as Jesus looked at the joy set before him we need to be looking at the joy set before us and our joy is the Lord our joy is the reconciliation that Christ provides. And ultimately the eternal hope that was provided through his blood, through him. And so we need to look to Jesus. But not only do we need to look to Jesus, the Hebrew writer says in verse 3, he says we need to consider Jesus. Not just look at him, but we need to consider him as well. And we need to consider how he endured, not only on the cross, but even before that. How he endured such hostility from sinners against himself, says in verse 3. This hostility is something that he experienced frequently, especially as he uh, entered his, his final weeks on earth. But even before that, throughout his life of ministry, he experienced hostility. And again, through our Wednesday night Bible study, we've been looking at that as we study the life of Christ and look at the interactions that he'd had with with those who sought his demise, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, um, and even uh, you know, the, the rejection in some capacity of the crowds and even of his own disciples and apostles. <clears throat> Meditating upon our Lord. That's what it means to consider him. Thinking about him. Thinking about what he's done. Thinking about his life, his example and teachings will prevent us from becoming weary or faint-hearted. Consider the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It says, They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. 
They shall walk and not faint. You probably heard that verse before. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It talks about endurance. It talks about how we run the race. We cannot run with endurance if we become weary or faint-hearted. But as we consider the Lord and His example, which in and of itself is a form of waiting upon the Lord, right? It says at the beginning of Isaiah 40:31, those who wait for the Lord, wait upon the Lord. By considering Him, we won't grow weary or faint. Running the race of faith requires two elements. The first is that we need to lay aside some things. The things that are going to hinder us. Every sin. And the second element is that we need to keep our focus on Jesus, who made our salvation possible. Who made the race of faith possible. What are we racing for if not for Jesus? In both cases, in both of those elements, both in laying aside the things that would hinder us and keeping our eyes on Jesus, the Word of God is crucial. Because in the Word of God, we learn what sort of things we need to lay aside. In God's Word, we also learn about Jesus. We learn about what He endured and how His example should inspire us. So this morning, the encouragement the invitation, whatever word you want to give it, the challenge. Look within. Consider yourself. Have you lost your endurance? Have you grown weary in running the race of faith? It can happen, right? But we should use the Bible to help us examine what kind of baggage needs left beside us. Lay it aside. The things that have happened in the past, if you've repented of it and you've sought forgiveness, it's gone. It's not baggage you're supposed to carry, right? Mercy Me has a song, uh, and the, the lyric is, You were never meant to carry this beyond the cross. And that's true. The baggage that we carry was never meant for us to carry throughout life. Because we can't run a race of faith with endurance if we're carrying extra weight on us. We need to let the Bible help us learn about Jesus and His example and how that can encourage us to continue on with perseverance. Remember what we read earlier in our reading this week. Hopefully you read it in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. I'll read it again. For you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And I hope to see everyone here at the end of that race and receive what is promised. Can we assist you this morning with that? Do you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you need guidance in your study? Do you need guidance in, in how to find or how to get rid of that baggage? How to let it go? How can we help you? If we can help you, we're about to sing a song that is here and serves the purpose to give you an opportunity to come forward to meet with either me or the elders and to make your request known. We are a family and we are here to assist you in any way that we can. So if we can do that, won't you come forward now while we stand and sing?